And I'm Grace. And this is what we wish people knew. Choosing a therapist is a daunting task, and an important component of this process is educating yourself on the different types of therapies. Today, we are going to talk about some of the most popular theories counselors use and why. Hopefully, this will make this process a bit easier for you. This is what I wish people knew about the different therapy types. First, the most important factor to consider in the process of finding the therapy type that's best suited for you is yourself. I know, you were probably all expecting me to start spouting some statistics about according to psychologist so-and-so and confusing acronyms, and we'll get to that. But first and foremost, you need to find a therapist that is a good fit with your personality, your values, and your lifestyle. The most predictive factor of a successful therapy outcome is the relationship between you and your therapist. We call this the therapeutic alliance. So look at their website. Does it inspire you, speak to you, read their blog? Do you find yourself agreeing with them, enjoying their writing style? These can all be helpful clues on your search. Sometimes, though, the best way to tell is to just make that appointment and give it a shot. So for example, let's say that you're someone who doesn't like confrontation. It might be helpful to find a therapist that doesn't use confrontation in their style of therapy. I know previous clients have told me that they ditched their previous therapist because the therapist was, was judgmental towards them and experience that they've shared. Unfortunately, you can't really tell until you meet them. And also, unfortunately, there are some crappy counselors, just as there are crappy people in every profession. Okay, you're not talking about me, right? Never. I wouldn't be co-hosting this podcast with you if I felt <laughs> otherwise. Uh. There are some pretty good counselors, too. Okay. Now for the annoying acronyms. The first one we're going to talk about is CBT. If you have ever searched for a therapist, you probably saw this acronym in almost every counselor's bio or website. To put it in layman's terms, CBT is super in right now. Sarah, how many times do you think you heard the term CBT in school? Probably during every other class I attended. Because you only attended every other class. <laughs> Are you judging me right now? <laughs> no, 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 that's better than my attendance level last semester, okay? Uh, anyway, let's talk about what is CBT. CBT. This stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and one of the most used evidence-based practices. Cognitive behavioral therapy approaches treatment from the theory that our cognitions, or our thoughts, influence our emotions, which then influences our behaviors. Basically, all of our maladaptive, which just means not helpful behaviors, emotions, moods, stem from dysfunctional thoughts, or automatic thoughts. Automatic thoughts are ideas that pop up into our mind, just like, I can't do anything right, or they don't like me. I know I won't get the job. I'm not smart. And they stem from our beliefs about ourselves, others, and the world around us. A CBT therapist will work with you to identify these thoughts, the underlying beliefs, and to change these thoughts, which will consequently change your behaviors. CBT is often used for anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and self-esteem. Awesome. Thanks so much, Grace. And next up is ACT. This stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. This type of therapy is a branch off of CBT and does a lot of work with values. Value work is important because it helps us clarify 
the way you're living in a way that reflects your values. In other words, are you living life according to what you believe is most important? ACT focuses on training oneself to be fully aware and immersed in the present. This is done with mindfulness training. The acceptance piece stands for allowing yourself to experience any thoughts or emotions that enter into your mind. For example, if I am thinking, I am a failure. Instead of pushing that thought out of my head, I'll allow it to enter and draw awareness to this thought by then thinking, in this moment, I am thinking that I am a failure. Removing yourself from the thought creates a space where real work can be done and change can be made without the feelings of guilt or shame. This is where the commitment comes in. This type of therapy requires a readiness and commitment to change and put in the work necessary to make that change happen. ACT is commonly used for stress in the workplace, anxiety, including test anxiety, depression, OCD, mood disorders, and trauma. Okay, last but not least, positive psychology. Sorry, there's no acronym for this one. This is commonly referred to as the psychology of happiness. This definition holds some truth, but it actually goes much deeper than that. So I was watching a TED Talk last night, and I came across one called There's More to Life Than Being Happy by positive psychologist Emily Asfani Smith. And there was one statement that really stood out to me. She said, happiness comes and goes, but when life is really good and when things are really bad, having meaning gives you something to hold on to. This is the real root of positive psychology, finding and living a meaningful life. This type of therapy focuses on identifying your strengths, teaching and practicing gratitude, setting goals, and building and maintaining healthy relationships with others. It can be helpful for managing work stress, sleep habits, life stressors such as money, self-esteem, and depression. There are so many more types of therapy, and we encourage everyone to do some research and find a type of therapy that resonates with you. So now let's take some time to reflect on our self-care challenge from last episode. Grace, how did you do last week with taking 15 minutes a day to do some relaxing? So although I did drink some wine, like I said, I actually challenged myself to do some more technical self-care tasks. I ended up turning my phone off for 15 minutes, but I'm going to be honest with you, I only did it twice, and one time it might have been for 10 minutes. How hard was it for you to turn your phone off? I never turned mine off. You know, it was actually easier than I thought it would be, and it felt pretty good to disconnect. How about you? Did you do any reading? So, remember what I told you that I'm a PhD student? Yeah, we know. We get it. Well, it's really kind of hard to not read counseling-related or dissertation-related books right now. Um, however, I did manage to read 15 minutes of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck three times last week. But two of those times were in one day. So, technically, I only did it for two days. Okay, that's not bad. At least we both gave it a shot. Um, so for next week, this coming week, try this self-care challenge um, that's often used in positive psychology. Keep a gratitude journal this week. Write down things you are grateful for and try to be specific to that day. Otherwise, it becomes a it-could-be-worse journal. For example, you can say things like the typical, I'm grateful I'm physically healthy and I don't have cancer. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful I have an income. Even if I hate my job, at least I have money. While these are all valid things to be grateful for, let's challenge ourselves just a little bit, okay? 
For example, I'm grateful one of my favorite songs came on the radio on my way to work this morning. It can be that simple. Awesome. I look forward to doing it. Um, so that's all we have for this week on what I wish people knew. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode on what I wish people knew about self-care.